welcome to BIB Today, the podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and executive editor. We spent a lot of time in the last three years on this podcast examining the change in the work dynamic amid the pandemic. One of the major changes has been how we raise greater awareness of and address mental health challenges in the workplace, how these once low priorities are now taking center stage. A recent Deloitte study pointed to the need to reconsider the nature of work in this context. My guest today is an occupational therapist turned corporate consultant. Genevieve Hawkins has written a book for business leaders on navigating the many issues today that are going to prove permanent when we at last examine the changes brought on us by the pandemic. The book is called Mentally at Work, Optimizing Health and Business Performance Through Connection. Genevieve joins me from Australia today. Good to see you. Hey, Kurt. Good to see you too. I, what made you turn to, uh, to getting into a book like this at a time like this in your career? Well, it's interesting, actually, because the book, I wrote the book pre-COVID, um, mm. but actually published it as COVID was happening in the first year of COVID. And I think for me, I was sitting back looking at what I was seeing in organisations and seeing that organisations were not thinking about their roles systemically in influencing what's going on for mental health for people in the workplace. And that when we talked about mental health, um, we'd have conversations that seemed to be far more medical in conversation or very much about the individual. Right. And, um, and which is really important to have a look at that part. But I just felt that there was a missing piece to go, we talk about mental health over here in a medical model that sometimes isn't accessible. We talk about leadership over here, but a bit detached. And no one's also talking about this concept of systemic work design in terms of the impact on mental health. And so I wanted to bridge a gap, wanted to fill that gap. Yeah, we... We pushed uh, mental health well aside, though, at the beginning of the pandemic, as, as you remember. I mean, we were we were preoccupied with the threat of our medical health, our physical health, in all of this. Um, how? Why do you think it eventually became something we took issue with? I think so. If I go back to the basics of how we're wired as human beings. We are fundamentally wired for connection. And the way I've explained is thinking about we have a thinking brain and an animal brain, and that animal brain recognises safety in numbers. It, it knows that connection is we are safer when we're in our tribe, so to speak, and closer to people. And so what was happening to begin with was there was an immediate fear, absolutely, from a physical health perspective, because the statistics were rather scary in terms of what the death rates were or significant health problems for people. And um, that actually in and of itself, so if, in fact, I'd jump back slightly to go, our brain's also wired for pattern, it looks for pattern, it looks for certainty. And so it was looking for certainty in a world in which it wasn't there. Now, to begin with, we were focused on our medical health, but that fear of what was happening to us and what the risk could be, and then you couple that with, and again, different countries experience this differently, but the, um, the lockdowns that were happening, the isolation because of COVID, and yep. um, then actually increase people's levels of anxiety in particular. And um, you then couple that with actually what disrupted in the workplace, so people losing jobs, et cetera, as well. So the increased levels of depression and anxiety, I think, took a bit of time for people to realise were coming through. Um, and I certainly know in Australia, well, in Melbourne, we were, we were, I don't know whether we still are, but we were the most locked down city during COVID. Um, that there was an increasing call out from people to go, we get physical health, but the isolation that you've put us under is actually causing more problems for us and we think we need to actually address that. Yeah, I mean, the, the un absolute uncertainty at the beginning of how many people were going to get COVID-19 
and then what it would really entail. Uh, we, you know, we didn't know how fatal it would be. We didn't know how long-lasting some of it would mm. be. We know about anything? We, we hadn't used the term long COVID before, as as mm. we do today in some cases. I, I want to get a picture from you about how you think, uh, though, that, that that this quandary of dealing with COVID at the beginning and in the first couple of years accentuated a lot of the mental health challenges that had already been there in the workplace, but perhaps had been somewhat suppressed or tamped down by the dynamic of coming to work every day and seeing people uh, and connecting with them. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that um, you talk about, I, I feel like we're going through a bit of a, a, in fact, a revolution, not just evolution, I think it's a revolution in how we think about work. And, and I welcome the Deloitte study um, because it certainly lines up with the views of what I had put into the book as well. But I think pre, um, pre that COVID world, it was more comfortable for people to be able to go, you're there, we don't really need to know about you as a person and, and what your life is. I pay you to do a job. Can you come in and do that job for me? Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, that's that's really harsh because some of you know organisations were going. We get this concept called culture, or well, some do, not everyone did. Um, it kind of get, oh, you know, we've got to belong a bit, but but please don't bring too much of yourself to work. Like there was that discomfort, I think, for for many to go. I just pay you for that that work, and um, and it was more convenient, I think, for managers to go. That's what it's all about, and I don't have to think about how I impact people. And and I think even likewise, a concern for many that if you looked at and and across the world workers compensation systems look different in different places but the idea that a workplace would be responsible for people's mental health in any way shape or form i think made a whole lot of people uncomfortable because they're going well that's that's you over there and you're responsible for that and i think covid covid actually brought it to the fore because there were so many more people that were anxious so many more people that were depressed because of the impact so instead of mental ill health being something that was, oh, we just whisper about it because it's a few people, all of a sudden it was in our faces that this is actually, we're all vulnerable and all of us to varying levels were experiencing challenges in that time. And you couple that with, for people that were working in offices anyway, um, your home was, you, you couldn't help but have your home in there. You'd have your cat walk across your screen. You'd have the kids yeah. screaming in the background or whatever might be going on helped people, I think, to start open up to a different conversation. Yeah. Are we able yet to uh, really comprehend how that, how these revelations of our collective mental health have reshaped work? <sighs> Great question. Because <laughs> I, um, I think we're still in the process of grappling with that. So mm. I think... You know, and, and I look at, um, you know, so when I when I wrote the book, I was sitting there going, we need to talk about this. We, we need to talk about a work that looks differently. And when the Deloitte study came out, um, which is that I fully aligned with in talking about what does it mean in terms of us as leaders? What does it mean in terms of designs of work? What does it mean in terms of the way we work? And um, those things are important. Now, I'd go, an organisation like Deloitte put that out there because organisations are still grappling with it. And we need that thought leadership to come out there to help organisations reimagine what it means, what it means to be meaningful in this workplace. So I think um, what I expect to see, already starting to see and expect to continue to see grow, is that you'll always have the organisations that get it early on and reimagine work 
fairly quickly. But you'll actually have a whole lot of people voting with their feet. And so people, you know, talk about the great resignation and that whole point of going, I'm searching for a place where I have meaning and where I belong. And so if you as an organisation can't give that to me, then I'm going to move myself. And so actually it's um, it's kind of a groundswell change that I think will, will fundamentally shift workplaces across the globe. Yeah. Are, are you worried? Are you seeing evidence, though, of businesses saying, okay, we have kind of gotten through this. Um, we don't need to apply this attention to mental health. We can kind of go back to where we were at the beginning of 2020. Yes, that, that's wishful thinking, isn't it? But yes, <laughs> absolutely. I'm saying, and, and, and again, I, I think it depends on how much people have a capacity to think deeply and systemically about their organisation. But absolutely. I mean, I had some, in fact, I can't remember who it was that said to me recently, oh, well, we've moved on from that now. You know, we've got bigger problems to solve than mental health. And I'm sitting yeah. going, oh, you, you do that at your peril. Because, yes, there are some, I think when people not even necessarily gone back, but people are sitting there going, world economics are really unstable, we're really uncertain, we've got climate change, we, we've got, you know, all sorts of tensions within within the globe. Um, can we just not worry about that? Because we really want to get on to, we want to make some money and we want to try and have our organisation work. Um, but I would say it's at their peril that they ignore it. But absolutely, I'm seeing signs of that. People go, ah, we can move on. There's another side of the worry, and and uh, it's it's that obviously before the pandemic, it's not as if everybody wanted to come to work every day, right? They, in a lot of cases, the office or the factory uh, was you know you you had to get out of your shell every day. You had to you had to come in, you had to participate, you had to collaborate, you had to create, do all those types of things. The pandemic, in a way, provided you an opportunity to go back in your hidey hole. Uh, and for, I think, some people, they haven't come back out of it. And, and, and that is, is kind of a, a different kind of worry. How, you know, how serious is that, do you think, that, that now people can burrow themselves back in, work remotely, and kind of, kind of you know, dodge the difficulty of, yeah, of it's for their mental health? I think, um, so I remember reading some research, and this was before COVID came along, and not even imagining it that this would force it because of COVID, but actually talking about the way technology was heading and saying the way that technology was heading, we could literally end up being, we don't need to move anywhere. We don't need to move out of our house and sometimes not even off our couch because we can get people to deliver food. We can get people to entertain us on a screen. We can do our work from home. We don't need any of that. So it's in the context of that isolation piece, I think that there is, um, I think there's a couple of things for me. One is um, that I think there will end up being some design of work that says you're not coming in at all, you're not quite connected. Now, my argument with that from an organisational point of view is saying if you do that and you have complete remote people, then you may not get the best from them because they may not feel a sense of connection to the work that they are doing there. Now, if that's okay for you because it's a transactional thing and, yeah. and you don't care as an organisation, you go, that's fine, you can stay home, then on the one hand, from a work perspective, they can go, well, I don't have a problem. I've got a whole lot of people doing that. I think at an individual level, what's really, really important 
is for this education around understanding how important it is to belong and that if work isn't what gives you that, you need to find that sense of belonging with other people. That's what's really, really important. Yeah. Um, I mean, because it, yeah. it obviously provides us with, uh, many of us, with a big part of our identity um, and yes. a certainly um, the sense of purpose, fulfillment, um, you know, accomplishment. Those are, I mean, those are egoic things in many, uh, in many ways, but they are qualities, qualities of it. Uh, again, um, how worried are you about the fact that, uh, particularly the younger part of the workforce, which maybe isn't hasn't ridden this out as uh, okay, well, it's a couple of years out of what has been a you know three decade career or something. But it's three years out of a six or seven year career. What, what kind of distortion do you think this is providing yeah. us with this connection? I, yeah. I mean, connection and, and learning and um, being better, I, I think actually I am in some ways worried about we won't see some of the impacts for another few years because of the, you know, the, the realities of saying if you're young in your career and you were used to going, I mean, we often didn't appreciate how much people learnt by osmosis, how much people felt they belonged because they're just in there and you've got the buzz of, of going to the kitchen and everyone's, you know, grabbing themselves a coffee or you're sitting at your desk and someone hears a conversation that you're having and turns around and says, hey, are you okay? Or um, let's have a chat about that. Or you're just asking questions that we learn so much about how we not only learn ourselves, but how then as we get wiser, how we support the next generation. And I think that's, you know, that's part of the gap with it as well, is that you've got these people who've been isolated, have not got as much learning, so they're not um, feeling as connected to that and they won't have as great a capacity then to teach others. So I think that is a real challenge. Um, and I think, you know, as we, as we evolve from a work perspective, more and more of the work that we're saying you could do from home in terms of, of the um, automated processing things, Actually, technology will take those jobs over. What technology can't take over is human connection. And so we need to, like organisations need to find ways of creating a way in which people want to come back into the office. And I'm not saying all the time because I actually think there's an incredible benefit of hybrid work. Um, but for young people, that sense of belonging and learning and nurturing to be better professionals in whatever work that they're doing is really, really important. And yet I see businesses struggling with, uh, with how it is that they're bringing people back. I mean, it, they're, they're pretty well loading on incentives that feel to me, you know, not really authentic. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're kind of tricks in a certain way to, to get people back in a building for a little bit uh, to see if they, it, it then tantalizes them sufficiently to stay, you know, stay for a full day, stay, you know, come back next week for a few days. Um, how do you think businesses can do that better to do something that is going to appeal authentically to, you know, to the, the core of somebody to then make them feel like, correctly about it and not feeling like they're being incentivized you know? yeah told what to yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it because i think i'm not i'm not against the incentive to begin with and and i think about it from a personal perspective on because we were locked down as much as we were we got so used to doing work 
from home that when it was first go back to the office for me even the oh I've got I've got to remember, I've got to remember my shoes and I've got to I've got to remember my lunch and and I've, and then I come in and there's not many people around then I kind of go why have I why have I come in if not if not many others are around so I think yeah. to begin with the first one is actually as a leader you need to start that habit yourself. And you need to persevere with that a bit so that you go get outside your own comfort zone and go, how do you come in and get used to it and talk about the discomfort? Talk, and that's certainly what I did with my team was sitting there going, oh, this is, this is strange, isn't it? This, this is hard. I find this difficult, but here's what I'm then gaining when I'm coming back and what I'm learning. So a bit of share the vulnerability of it's not like, you know, click your fingers and off we go, it's okay. And, and share the stories of how you can flex a little bit in how things work. The other thing, so I think organisations saying leadership, you know, set the example. The other thing from a business point of view for me is going, how do you make sure, A, you create meaning in what work is all about, why it is that you want to be part of this organisation in the first place, what is the big hairy, ugly problem that you're trying to solve that you all love that you're solving and then how do you create that there's certain things that you want people to come in for where everyone goes, actually, I do want to be part of that because we want to have, we would just want to have a couple of hours in a room with whiteboards and markers to be able to brainstorm some things. And, and while we're doing that, let's have a bit of a laugh, etc. My experience is certainly in my current role is that is now what's happening to grow and build that trend. So early on, um, it was hard. We resisted forcing people to go, you must come back. But we it wasn't necessarily incentives that were saying, here you go. Um, actually, no, I think there were some, but I don't, didn't pay attention because it was like, we'll give you cheap coffee or we'll give you free coffee in this you know, section yeah. or we'll, we'll do this or that. It wasn't about that. It was, for me, about the connection rituals. So these rituals of connection are so, so important. And when people start to see that, um, there starts to be a... And you can hear it from people. You go, oh, this is really nice. And if we can coordinate, so can we all come in on the same day? Can we not kind of come in and there's just three people, but let's have a day that we all agree that's there. And the other thing I'd say to businesses is, and particularly depending on size, but no, even if you're really big, within your teams you can do this. Have conversations with individuals. Understand what's going on for them and how you find that sense of connecting in to the meaning of, of the work rather than said, you know, cheap incentives or demanding. Yeah. Um, do you think we're done with the five day work week for white collar work? Five day office work week? I think we are. I do think we are. Yeah. I, I think, um, which is hard, I think, for organisations in some ways to, to grapple with. But I think what my sense of what COVID has accelerated for people is going, what are we doing on this planet? And um, why do I want to slave away, if you like, the whole time? Um, why can't I have some flex so I can feel like I can create a whole life that, that works for me? And I think that organisations need to flex around that. Now, you still might find, I said, I said over time I'm finding it building and I will have people in my teams that, will come in five days a week because they go, I don't want to be at home. <laughs> I've got I've got noisy kids or I've only got a bedroom and I haven't got a study or, you know, very simple things. People, it's, it's much better and it's closer. 
Um, but then absolutely the riders are saying, do you know what, actually my commute to work was an hour and a half one way and if I can save that time, then that's great. And actually if I can then be there to drop my kids off to school, then that's great. So I think, I think the five days in the office has changed. I think the challenge for businesses and for individuals is when we flex into this different world, we can't then have work take over an entire seven days a week. So that's the challenge. You've got to still help people to find boundaries in in the choices that we make there. Yeah. It feels in you know, some ways like uh, uh, what we're experiencing is a kind of retrieval of that time that uh, over the last generation, particularly as technology has come along to permit us to stay in touch 24-7, it feels like at times, mm-hmm. uh, that there's a bit of a retrieval going on in all of this. And I wonder uh, if you've yet thought through um, what maybe will be the the ultimate reverberation of this, the, the end of it, where, um, you know, where we kind of settled in and, and then can start to take a look at the dividends of having this uh, work from home, work at the office, uh, rebalance and all of that. And, and what do you think it might confer on work, not just on life, but on work. Oh, wow, Kirk. <laughs> That's a, a deep kind of reflection on it, isn't it? I think um, the world is um, the world is continuing to change. So I think, first of all, the world is continuing to be. When we talk about, you know, the VUCA of the world is so volatile and, and um, you know, uncertain and uh, was it complex and ambiguous that this world is continuing to be like that and will only continue to be like that. And I think, so when you sort of talk about is there a point that we then settle down and go, actually, now we're in this next phase, I, I don't know whether settle down is where we will end up. In some ways, I, I I think that we will we're going we're going to continue to keep adapting in this world that keeps changing around. What I do think um, is going to continue to be important is that people recognise the importance of connection. Um, people recognise the importance of um, how do we find a way of being our best selves, so that if we're in our best place, we can do our best work to solve the problems of the world. So I actually think the type of problems that we're going to work on, I mean, there'll be people that will be absolutely in the industry, say from a tech perspective, et cetera, changing our world constantly in what we do. And there'll be far more organisations that go, there will be a social drive underneath in terms of the purpose of the organisation. So there's still the job that people do, but there's going to be a, a, a much bigger drive because individuals in China, you say, not rebalance, but finding this flex of saying there's more to life than just doing something for a paycheck. And in yeah. a life that is uncertain, work needs to be something where we feel like we're contributing. And if we can find a way of doing that where part of that is also being at home so we can feel not only am I contributing to a bigger piece, but I've got my anchor point for why I'm contributing to this bigger piece because I do have family or friends that matter to me and, and that I spend time with and that I want to help make the world a better place for them. Yeah. Uh, last, last point, uh, you know, I think it was an old boss of mine who once said, you know, if it's, 
if it's not right at home, it's never going to be right at work. Right? Um, will it will it help us be better at home? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. I do. So I absolutely believe in the, in the concept of saying if I change it slightly from instead of you know if it's better you know if it's got to be okay at home to be better at work. I actually start with it's got to start with being better for it. We've got to be better. We've got to be healthier, um, and um, and healthier mentally as well as physically. Like that. That's a um, a starting point because if we can if we can think that and going how do we find that balance for ourselves mentally so that we are okay, then actually we can be better at work. And so yes, I do think that. Um, you hear, and, and the, you know, the stories people are going. I now can, um, I can drop my kids off to school. Not, not me. My kids are now beyond school. But you know, people go. I now get to see my kids off at school in the morning. Or we have conversations with people saying, I, I can't make that meeting. I've got to actually head to the school for a an assembly because my kid's getting an award. Um, or actually, I need to flex a little bit because I've got an elderly parent and I need to take them to some appointments and because we've recognized this ability to flex between the two then I, I will be better at home because you're allowing me to be who I am and and to find that sense of the care and connection that I need to have at home as well as at work mm. what a great conversation I, I wake up we could go on for hours <laughs> we could we could I'd it's love- such an important topic for people so yeah, gonna, yeah. I should say I probably you know, I probably found them going and then read my book. My encourage so my encouragement. So I think the Deloitte article is a really really good article in challenging organisations. Say this is not going away, and we need to have a systemic approach to this thing called work and our responsibility. Not a, a joint responsibility, a shared responsibility for mental health. So individual has to own their own health, but the organisation needs to as well. I think when you you read something like that, though, people can go, what does that mean? So my encouragement is to read my book because what actually, even though it was published before the Deloitte paper, it actually talks through these are some of the practical things you can do. It's not so scary. And as leaders, we can develop some um, techniques and there's a, you know exercises to help look after ourselves to help improve the way we talk with people and then start thinking systemically big organization and even down to team level about how do you design work so that we all feel much better yeah the title of your book is too large for the screen so uh, i'll repeat it mentally at work optimizing health and business performance through connection genevieve it's been really nice talking to you hope we'll do it again fantastic i'd love to Kurt. thank you I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and executive editor at BIB. Thanks a lot for watching.